Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander back in the W.G. Alexander and Associates Studios, as I like to call it, Bill. How are you doing? Jason, I am doing so well. Uh, It is fantastic to be alive. It's fantastic uh, to uh, enjoy what's going on, to be totally out of isolation when it comes to COVID protocols uh, and having things back to normal. And, And of course, uh, I, I am sure that, like me, you have um, thoroughly enjoyed this North Carolina spring-like uh, weather uh, that we've had this past week. It, it uh, looks looks like we're uh, going on the, back into the uh, winter uh, this uh, this weekend, or at least uh, getting cooler. But boy, this. We've had record-setting, a record-setting week, if you will, or, or if not record-setting, pretty darn close to it most days. So it's just a shame that uh, this uh, uh, spring-like weather uh, pretty much started after the President's Day weekend, uh, and it's going away now. So... <laughs> So unless people had took just took the day off, uh, you know, it was just a pleasant uh, time to to get out and and uh, and do what could be done. So anyway, uh, but it, it's uh, you know uh, most places don't enjoy this this type of reprieve uh, when it comes to weather. You, you know, in the in the Midwest and Northeast, they've had a blizzard. Uh, this past week while we've been enjoying this balmy uh, weather. Uh, And of course, uh, I guess we're fortunate in North Carolina in a big way because unlike so many places, while we do have the threat of uh, hurricanes uh, on the coast uh, and uh, tornadoes uh, on rare occasions that hit North Carolina, you know, our weather is so much better than most uh, areas without the threat of these catastrophic uh, fires and catastrophic hurricanes and catastrophic, um, you know, tornadoes that uh, so many places have to deal with. You know, we're very fortunate in that way. So anyway, great to be alive. Well, uh, one thing that I wanted to get started on, and it's something that um, most people screw up, uh, but simply because nobody ever tells you how to do it. Uh, and it's not complicated, but the fact is, is that one of the things we talk about uh, that's really important for everybody to have uh, in estate planning is to have uh, a general durable power of attorney and a health care power of attorney. In other words, where we uh, have the opportunity to appoint a trusted person uh, to make decisions on our behalf when we cannot do it. Okay. Uh, and we talk about that all the time. Uh, you know, I, well, I do. <laughs> so anyway, the, uh, but, but what we don't talk about is 
what about the person we appoint? What do they do? And the first thing I would say that is in North Carolina, it's really important. uh, Now, is there an obligation on the agent, the uh, what what has been called for many, many years an attorney in fact, uh, but when you're an attorney in fact, you're actually someone's agent, okay? Now, that means that you, uh, as the appointed trusted person, uh, have fiduciary responsibilities. And being a fiduciary uh, is a high calling in the law. In other words, you don't do it right, you get in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the fact is, is that um, uh, it's an important job uh, because, uh, and now, um, if you act on someone else's behalf with their authority under a power of attorney, then you are required to act as a fiduciary. And in North Carolina, the rules are not the same in every state, but in North Carolina, the number one rule for a fiduciary is to do that which your ward, the person, who, your principal, the person who's appointed you, would want done. In other words, if you know what they want, and you're acting on their behalf, you're responsible for doing what they want, okay? Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's stupid, (laughs) okay? In other words, uh, it's not your responsibility to correct what they want. It's your responsibility to do what they want or to follow through to do what they want done. Now, if you don't know what they want, and they can't tell you what they want, uh, or in their lo- they're in la-la land and they don't have the ability to, to be able to communicate effectively to you, then you have the responsibility of doing what's in their best interest. Um, and, and so that is when you do substitute your judgment for theirs uh, in essence, uh, you might, hopefully you're doing what they would want done, but you're, you're basically doing what you think is best for them. Um, n- now, why is it might be important um, to follow rule number one and do what they want? Well, there are a lot of folks who make decisions not based on what's in their own best interest, but they make decisions based possibly on what's in the family's best interest or uh, in, in what's in their business's best interest, you know, depending on circumstances and things like that. Um, uh, but, you know, there is that fiduciary duty that is so, so important. Uh, now, do folks breach that fiduciary duty and not get in trouble? Yes, but they should get in trouble. Let's put it that way. And if they're called on the carpet, if somebody else uh, who's in a position to know what's going on can show that that fiduciary duty has been breached, then the the courts are going to, uh, in essence, uh, uh, throw the hammer down 
and, and they should. You know, occasionally we'll, uh, there's been uh, news in this past week where a trustee of a special needs child uh, breached that duty in a big way and in essence spent the child's money uh, for their own benefit. Now that's the worst kind of fiduciary breach, but it happens in families. And if uh, those are the kind of things where there should be criminal prosecutions and, and civil prosecutions and, uh, you know, that's where the book should be thrown at them because uh, people are depending on, uh, and obviously uh, more often than not, it's a family member. Uh, but uh, those are the worst types. It's all based on greed and not uh, what should be required. But, um, okay, so fiduciary duty is important. But then the next question comes along, and that is, I have to sign this paperwork on behalf of my principal. How do I do it? You know, in other words, how do I act as an agent, as an attorney in fact, and sign the documents properly so that I'm actually signing on my principal's behalf and not signing my life away. You know, because one of the uh, key concerns of an agent is I don't mind acting as agent, but I don't want to take on personal liability or responsibility for my principal's debts uh, or other obligations that the principal might have. Well, the fact is, if you're acting as an agent and do it properly, then you're not going to be taking on any financial responsibility on your own. But a very common time when people are asked to sign documents as an agent uh, would be um, if the person is admitted to an assisted living facility or they're admitted to a nursing home or at some times uh, uh, when they're admitted to the hospital uh, or there's something that needs to be signed for surgery or things like that. Well, how do you sign? Because more often than not, the institution puts a piece of paper in front of you and it says, sign there. Now, do they tell you how to sign? No, of course not. And most of those documents, particularly with nursing homes and assisted living homes, there's a signature line for a person to sign. And guess what it says under that line? It says, responsible party. Okay. So, now, does responsible party mean guarantor? No, it does not mean that. However, the institutions want you to think that it means that you're guaranteeing this. So do you sign your name? No. Okay, because guess what? If you sign your name, you, you might be the responsible party, but you're, you're trying to do your job as agent so what do you do? You sign your principal's name, and then following your principal's name, you say, by, uh, and you can do it several ways, but you can say, by his POA, or by his agent, or by his AIF, attorney in fact, nobody does that one, but that's, but that's actually technically still correct. 
Um, but the proper way today is agent because that's just a nice English word that means the same thing. Okay. Uh, and that's what the state legislature has said. That's the way we want it done now. So um, it doesn't really matter as long as you sign for on behalf of someone else, but you sign their name by his or her agent and then sign your name as agent. Done. That way, you are not the responsible party. You're only signing on behalf of your principal. You're not a guarantor. You have no financial responsibilities. But most people don't know that. And when they're asked to sign, they just sign. They sign their name. They don't even put their principal's name there. And that's a mistake. Now, it shouldn't make you responsible in a financial way, but that's sort of a gray area. And the fact is the institutions like that because they want you to believe that you are, in fact, responsible for paying their bill if the principal can't pay it or they run out of money or there's some other issue involved where they don't get paid their, the full amount that they're supposed to get paid. So signing uh, as an agent, you, you do it by signing your principal's name and then your name following showing that you're signing as the agent. That's important advice and something that I think you're right, Bill. A lot of us, when it comes to planning, we think of who we want our agent to be, and then it kind of stops there. You know, we need to know how to make sure that if we are someone's agent or, and we, are, we do have that fiduciary responsibility that we're doing things the right way and not putting ourselves on the hook. That's wonderful advice. And I also encourage everyone, if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, if there's some questions that you have related to this, schedule some time to speak with Bill or maybe have your documents reviewed. Go to WGALaw.com. That's an easy way to set up an appointment to speak with Bill, or you can call the office. It's 919-256-7000 to reach Bill's staff, 919-256-7000. And don't forget, WGALaw.com. That's also where you can register for Bill's free webinars. Just click on the Seminars button at the top of the page, WGALaw.com, if you want to learn more about Medicaid, VA benefits, and other forms of financial assistance that may be available to you when it comes to dealing with long-term care. And Bill also has a webinar dedicated to asset protection and trust planning. WGALaw.com. Go there to learn more. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about Bill at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were just having a discussion on what you should do if you're appointed as an agent, how you should sign documents so that you may not be held liable in certain situations. I did have a question for you, though, Bill. We we're talking about a scenario where you are you have this fiduciary responsibility to your principal who has appointed you as your agent. 
What if you are someone's agent and you know your principal's wishes? Uh, maybe you're, you've been their best friend for a long time and uh, they haven't been as close with their family. And when it comes time for you to pr- act as an agent, what you know your principal wants may be out of line with what the family thought that the principal wanted. How do you protect yourself as an agent when your fiduciary responsibility maybe goes against what the family or the beneficiaries well, that's think? That's a pretty good question, Jason. It I'm glad be. you asked it. And, and quite frankly, uh, it's rare when you do that. But I always uh, enjoy your questions, and that's a good one. Um, families tend to be selfish. And the fact is, is that uh, in... Uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, I mean, it's the most common uh, plan for whatever you have to go to your spouse and or your children and not others. But the fact is, we're unique human beings, and we have different ideas about what we want for ourselves. And the fact is, is that while in most cases our children are the folks who we want to end up with our legacy at, at uh, after we're gone. Uh, but that is not always true. And certainly in North Carolina, children are not entitled to inherit anything from us. If they get something, it's because we want them to. Now, obviously, they have standing to challenge uh, what we want done. But this is why estate planning is important, so that our own wishes are set out in writing. Um, and, of course, uh, the, the, um, uh, it's best when those wishes are confirmed over time uh, and uh, when our uh, wishes are done while we are clearly... Uh, lucid, competent, and doing what we want done. Now, does it mean that we are legally obligated to be smart? No, absolutely not. We're, like I said, we're human beings. We can be stupid. We can make mistakes. Uh, and the, tr- I mean, how many of us can say, oh, we've never made a mistake. We're smart. <laughs> Fact is, we've all been dumb uh, for, at one time or another. We've made mistakes with our money. We've been made mistakes with our families. We've you know, the fact is we screw up and that's a real human thing to do. <laughs> so, um, but, okay, so you want to reduce what your children get or leave them out altogether. Well, you can do that. And um, it, you can leave your property all to charity, to your friends, whoever, you know, wherever you want it to go. Now, spouses unless you have a prenuptial agreement, do have a right to inherit some of your property, okay? And how much they're entitled to inherit depends on how long you've been married and whether you have children by that particular spouse, whether you have children by previous marriage. There are a lot of factors that go into um, uh, how much a spouse might be entitled to 
take. Now, if there's a, a pre-marriage, pre, you know, prenuptial agreement, uh, then in most prenuptial agreements, it basically says we're keeping our property separate and we don't have the right to inherit from each other. Uh, that that kind of agreement, which in a second or third or fourth marriage is a really important thing to have, particularly when you have children uh, by a previous uh, marriage. Now, if you have a really wacky uh, plan where you know that there's the possibility that there's somebody out there, generally a child, who is going to come forward and challenge your plan. Um, There's a solution for that. And the solution is to actually have your will probated while you are alive. It's it's called a living probate. Um, Actually, that's fairly new law. The legislature... Uh, passed a law, uh, you know, I'm, you know, time passes for me and I can't remember exactly when, but it's probably been on the books five or six years. And somebody will call in and say, no, it's been there for 10 years. <laughs> but, uh, but the bottom line is, is that uh, you have to understand that your last will and testament is only a piece of paper until you die and you take that piece of paper to the clerk of superior court in the county where you live, in other words, family takes it there, and the clerk actually probates it. In other words, they stamp it, this is the last will and testament. They've, and sometimes what's given to the clerk is not actually the last one. It might be the next to the last one or one that was done uh, 10 years before the last one was done. Uh, and then there's a challenge because the fact that then the last one is actually filed and then, then there's a dispute over which one is the right one, you know, that sort of thing. But the fact is, is that your will has to be probated by the clerk and accepted as your last will and testament to actually be your last will and testament. Well, obviously, the clerk generally doesn't accept a will for probate until you die. In other words, you take the will with the death certificate to the clerk. But Well, our legislature in North Carolina, and this is not true in every state, you know, it's a state thing, um, you can actually probate a will while you're alive and give notice to all your family members so that, and, and then what happens is they have to, if they're going to challenge your will, they have to challenge it right then and there while you're alive where you can go to the clerk and say, yep, that's my last will and testament, and I'm right here, and this is what I want. And, um, and okay, but the, the point is, it's really hard to challenge a last will and testament when the person is is sitting right there and saying, no, this is really what I want. <laughs> uh, because the what are the challenges? The challenges to a will typically take shape of one of three kinds of challenges. It's either technically it's not right, doesn't have the right language in it, it wasn't signed properly, 
wasn't signed with the witnesses present and the notary present and everybody being in at the same time. So it wasn't executed properly, and so it should be thrown out as not being. Uh, and typically, if it's clear on the face that it's not executed properly, then the clerk's not going to accept it to begin with because, again, it's a piece of paper until the clerk says it's a will. Um, the second challenge is the fact that a mom or dad or whomever uh, was not competent to, didn't understand, didn't have the mental capacity to understand what they were signing at the time this piece of paper uh, was signed. Um, and, and so, and now the most common, uh, obviously that would be where there's evidence that the person was severely demented or, or the like. Um, now, can you be competent with some dementia? Yes. Then it's a question of capacity and, and you know, does a person, because, you know, from my perspective, a person's long-term memory is still good. They know who they are. They know what they own. They know who their family is. They're not confused about things like that. Their short-term memory may be fading, but they know what's going on. Um, those those folks typically can understand uh, what a will does, and, and are they competent? Yes. But the most common challenge is for what's called undue influence, uh, and that can take many forms, but it's it's like, you know, l- let me give you an example where Let's, let's say you have uh, four children and one daughter has taken the full responsibility for taking care of dad in his late, last years, uh, and she's done a wonderful job uh, for the past 10 years and given up her life to take care of dad. And dad wants to reward her by leaving everything to her or leaving more than what the normal equal division is. And the other children don't like that. Okay, so did she unduly influence him to leave everything to her? Or, you know, uh, so that can be a pretty hairy question um, because did she deserve more than the others? No question about it. Uh, and of course, if, if this was what dad wants, this is why it's important for lawyers to, when there's a situation like that, to make sure that when they consult with dad, that the daughter is not present. That's when the lawyer should be kicking everybody out of the room uh, and making sure that dad knows and understands what he does and exactly what he wants so that the will reflects that with no input from somebody else. And so that's uh, called undue influence, and that would be the most common uh, challenge uh, that, that has some chance of success. Well, Obviously, if you do a living probate while you're alive, you can be right there in front of the clerk and say, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing, uh, and this is exactly what I want. Then the clerk makes the decision as to whether or not um, 
you're unduly influenced and competent uh, to sign a document and those kinds of things. And, you know, it, it basically takes the teeth out of any potential challenge. And once your will is probated while you're alive, then the family can't come back in at your death and challenge it. It's, it's already done. So there's your solution. That is a solution. That's something that I, I didn't realize, but it's good to know that that is an option available for us in the state and that, you know, family dynamics can always make things kind of hairy. So making sure that you have things buttoned up on the front end, that you've ha- you have your documents in place and you have the right documents in place and you've done it in a way that cannot be challenged in a way that we have discussed in this segment. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, maybe you've never spoken with an elder law attorney before, it's easy to do. Go to WGALaw.com. You can easily schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also call the office. The phone number is 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. Or if you're interested in learning more about asset protection and trust planning you can do so for free by attending bill's free webinars the next set of webinars is happening on wednesday march 8th you can also learn more about long-term care assistance medicaid va benefits it's all free to do so Uh, there's no cost involved it's free to register free to attend just go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page we're taking a quick break but we'll be back with more this is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or find out more about his free webinars happening on Wednesday, March 8th, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've talked a lot about uh, agents, you know, people we assign to act as our agent if we are not able to make decisions for ourselves. And there's a lot that goes into that, and there's also a lot that goes into making sure things are set up properly, in particular with our bank accounts. Uh, no question about it. That is an area where seniors um, simply make a mistake in terms of how they do it. And, of course, uh, the banks are responsible in a lot of ways for these for it to be set up in a way that uh, it is uh, not necessarily appropriate. And what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes, seniors, uh, sometimes it's a husband and wife, sometimes it's uh, a senior who has lost their spouse, they're, and, and they're getting up in age, and they know that they need some assistance making sure their bills get paid uh, and their accounts are looked at so that there's no funny business going on and the thing. In fact, it, you know, quite frankly, uh, the attorney general uh, says that folks who are in their late 70s and early 80s uh, should, in fact, um, do several things. Number one, freeze your bank account, uh, or not freeze your bank account, freeze your credit, 
so that no one can steal your identity and establish credit in your name improperly, illegally, those kinds of things. But freezing your credit keeps people from doing that. Uh, and to have someone, a trusted person, normally a child, uh, who looks over your accounts every month to make sure there's no weird charge in there um, that uh, occurs uh, for people who sometimes agree to things on the telephone. You know, it's free for 90 days. Uh, and then there, on the 91st day, there's a charge that's uh, monthly after that to your bank account. You know, that sort of thing when, you know, you uh, you need to cancel that right away and get rid of it. Um uh, those those kinds of, of, of things. Uh, but having someone who's trusted to look over your accounts each month is another thing that the Attorney General's office strongly recommends for seniors uh, for their own financial safety. Okay, so um, the senior wants one of the children to help them uh, by looking over their accounts and making sure their bills get paid so that they don't miss the things that that are important to keep their you know keep everything on track. Well, what happens oftentimes is uh, they they go to the bank with their child if they want to do it, and no, even though the child might be the agent under the financial power of attorney, they don't have the document with them, uh, and they don't even think of it. It's just like I want to put my daughter on this account, okay. And so guess what? How, how does the bank set that up? They set it up as, okay, we'll put her on your account, and it will be a joint account, and it's always done joint with right of survivorship. Okay. Now, if the daughter is the, the only daughter, in other words, she's the only child, then maybe that's not a problem. But let's say there are two or three other children. So the question is, when that bank account was set up, was it set up so that the child who was doing this for dad uh, or mom um, is supposed to get that money at your death? Or was it set up for your convenience with the expectation that at your death, your daughter would be sharing that money with her siblings, okay? Well, in my opinion, 90% of the time, these, these are done as convenience and not because you actually intend for that child to receive the account, okay? So, um, and obviously, most people say, oh, my daughter's trustworthy, and she'll do the right thing. Uh, we've talked about it, not a problem. And then you die. Okay, now the, the fact is, is that in most cases, this young lady will do exactly what dad wanted her to do and share the money with the siblings. However, legally, she doesn't have to. It's, it's legally her money by rights of survivorship, which Trump, I mean, it, that survivorship is, a, in essence, a beneficiary, 
which takes precedence over anything you might say in your will, where your will says, I want an equal division among my children. So obviously setting that account up in that way is a bad thing, particularly if you've executed a general durable power of attorney. It always authorizes the the agent to be on your account, sign your checks, have you know, have uh, the ability to look at the accounts every month and think if, and exactly what you want them to do. So the fact is, the way people should set up those accounts is. Take your power of attorney with you. You and your daughter go together, or son, whoever it is, uh, and you establish the account. It's still your account, 100%. It's not joint, but your trusted person is on the account as your agent with full access to the account with fiduciary duties, you know. And then at your death, that fiduciary, um, the agency goes away and the account is then goes uh, and is divided pursuant to your last will and testament. So to me, it's a huge mistake that, uh, and, and I would say in my experience, it's far more common for people to go to the bank and establish a joint account with right of survivorship and not an account with an agent with your authority to deal in that account. Doing it with the power of attorney as an agent is the way people should do it. This is why it's so important that you seek an elder law attorney if you have any sort of dynamics like this in your family that could leave things open to interpretation like that or may not behave legally as you expect them to. Schedule some time to speak with Bill. Make sure that you don't fall into one of these innocent mistakes where, you know, a banker recommends something to you, which may sound like it fits at the time, but when it comes to your planning and things like that, it it goes counter to that. So schedule some time to speak with Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. It's easy to try and schedule an appointment with Bill there. You can also call the office. The phone number is 919-256-7000, 256-7000. And don't forget at WGALaw.com, you can also register for Bill's free webinars. You can learn more about asset protection and trust planning, as well as long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits. It's free to do so. There's no cost to you. Just go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about Bill at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were just having a discussion on how we should be setting up our bank accounts. And uh, I know you wanted to tie a bow on that. Yes. Well, what I would say is if you're like most people and you're setting up this account for convenience where you really want the account to be divided among your uh, children equally, then in that event, you should um, uh, go to the bank with your agent daughter 
and have the account changed. Easy enough, easy peasy. Then it's clear. Now, what if you're one of those rare folks who actually want the daughter to have the account and, and it not be shared with the others? Well, and that happens as well, uh, but it's just rare. Well, if you're one of those, it's best if you put it in writing and, you know, does it have to be formal? No. Does a lawyer have to do it? No. But you can write a letter or something that you sign and date and basically say something like, I set up this account, and it's my intention that whatever's left in this account at my death goes to my daughter by rights of survivorship, that this is what I want. Um and have it signed and give it to the daughter and make sure she keeps it among her important papers so that in the event the others think that dad could not have intended that, he wouldn't do that to us, um, then she can pull the letter out and use that uh, if it goes to a court case, then uh, she'll have that as evidence. And if it, you know, more in most families, a, a letter written like that would be more than sufficient for the other children to back off and say, oh, okay, Dad actually did intend it to be to go to you. Okay. So there you go. Now, uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about today was, was really um, had to do with um, uh, what are the kind of things going on in your life that should make you uh, want or need to review things, to review your legal planning, to review your financial planning, uh, sometimes both, sometimes one or the other. But uh, basically, what are those changes in your life that should make you realize that, hey, I better look at this to make sure that uh, I have done uh, what I really want to happen financially and or legally for my family. Well, obviously, some things are pretty straightforward. Marriage is a biggie, obviously. That changes a lot. Um, uh, but not necessarily. It might be, uh, particularly if it's a first marriage, it's rare to have a prenuptial agreement. But for successive marriages, prenuptial agreements are common and actually advised in almost every case. Uh, divorce, obviously, is another biggie where people mess up by not changing their documents uh, right away. Uh, not changing it after the separation, uh, not changing beneficiary designations is a huge issue that people forget about oftentimes. Uh, obviously, the death of your spouse or the death of a person that you rely on is a biggie. Uh, that's uh, obviously you need to make some changes because you got to name some other folks. Uh, moving from one state to another state should mean your documents should be reviewed because oftentimes uh, they need to be changed. Um, pre-retirement is a biggie. And I say pre-retirement because it really should be uh, reviewed and consulted before you retire and then again after you retire. Um, 
if you were disabled is another biggie or changes in your goals for your family or your financial situation can be better or worse. And so there's lots of different things like that where you really should seek um, help with reviewing things. If you've experienced any of those events, schedule some time to speak with Bill and have your documents reviewed. If you haven't already done so, go to WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget you can register for Bill's free webinars happening on Wednesday, March 8th. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page to learn more or call the office 919-256-7000. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.